Well, good morning and welcome. It is my pleasure to introduce and pray for our speaker today, Joy Kerr. Uh, but before that, just attention to big announcement. No Bible study next Wednesday, not because it is Halloween, <laughs> but Upper Dublin schools have off on Wednesday after Halloween on Tuesday. There you go. <laughs> so that is a little confusing, but no Bible study next Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, in, in service day and day after Halloween. <laughs> it's convenient. Too many kids hyped up on chocolate. That's right. <laughs> Would you join me in prayer? Oh, thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time together. Thank you for time to sit in your word, to hear your word, to grow in your word. Thank you, Father, for your presence among us. Thank you for Joy and her willingness to spend time studying, Lord, and um, being in this chapter of Romans. Lord, I pray that by her teaching, you would open our eyes to the glorious gift that you have given us. Thank you, Father, for how you have um, taught joy, and I pray that we would benefit from what she has learned from you and being in your word. So thank you, Father. We pray that you would be with joy in all the ways that she needs it. Please clear all the distractions from all of us as we come in from the morning to here. Just help us to clear our minds and listen well and hear what you have for each one of us individually. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. So good to be with all of you this morning. I'm not used to this view and it being so bright outside. So it's good to be here together. So today we're going to dive in to Romans 4, 1 through 12. And this topic is Abraham justified by faith. I feel like Paul has been so much like a lawyer preparing to defend his case. He's been setting up the background story from the beginning of Romans, right? And today he's going to introduce evidence for his case. The end of chapter three is a conversation about man's justification, just as if I had never sinned. Thank you, Kim King. I appreciate that. That was so helpful. And justification by faith in Jesus Christ, apart from the law, this is verses, uh, or chapter three, 27 to 31, stating who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by that same faith, understanding that faith does not nullify the law. In that chapter, we understand that Jews and Gentiles have equal access to justification. There is equity in Christ Jesus. And then this leads us into chapter four. Chapter four is where Paul will use two major Jewish figures to further build his case, Abraham and David. Tim Keller writes that using Abraham and David as examples is a masterstroke by the apostle Paul. Abraham was the father of the Jews and David was the greatest king of the Jews. Jewish people were proud to be called children of Abraham. Abraham was and still is revered by the Jewish people as an ancestor of God's people and a model of faithfulness. 
we know that Abraham is a key to, and he's really a key figure in God's plan of salvation as revealed in the Old Testament. It is important here to understand that Paul is demonstrating to the Romans that Abraham's story fits into Paul's concept of salvation history. The purpose in using these two men as examples was and is to show the difference between faith and works. Paul uses questions like any good lawyer to introduce the next part of the argument. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? And by that, he means circumcision. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Even Abraham couldn't boast before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So this scripture is originally found in Genesis 15, 6. It is proof of justification by faith. So when we use the word believed, it's not believing there is a holy God or a God who saves, but believing when he promises salvation by grace. God promised Abraham that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars. Now, Isaac was not even a twinkle in his mother's eye. Abraham was well into his 70s, and Sarah was well beyond childbearing years. Sarah even tried to manipulate the situation by giving Hagar over to, you know, to Abraham to produce a son, to produce that heir. How often do we do things like that? Trying to manipulate the outcomes because we have a better way than God does. But in uh, Sarah happened to be listening in on Abraham's conversation with God in Genesis 18, and she laughed out loud. And of course, God heard her. She denied it, but he heard her, caught her in the act. What God was promising seemed absolutely impossible, but Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So in the following verses, four and five, Paul explains what credited or reckoned, or accounted, or imputed means. It depends on your translation of your Bible. And so um, this word is found 11 times in Romans 4 alone. What does it mean to be imputed, counted, or credited? Account to him, to Abraham, a righteousness that does not inherently belong to him. It is a gift. According to the Westminster Theological Seminary, imputation often refers to the legal or forensic crediting of Jesus' perfect righteousness to believers by faith for justification, just as if I had never sinned, made right with God on the basis of the obedience, not of me, but of Christ. And that's how we become justified, through the obedience of Jesus Christ. Paul explains that when a person works for wages, they are earned as an obligation of the employer to the employee. It is not a gift, right? If we're working for something, our boss doesn't come to us and hand us a, a paycheck and say, here's a gift for you, right? And we'd be like, uh, I think I earned that this week. I worked really hard. But if they give us a bonus, that might be a gift, right? So seeing it a little bit differently. Um, in verse five, Paul states that to the one who does not work, and he's not talking about somebody who's lazy, but one who stops trusting in obedience to the law 
to save themselves or stops working to be saved. The one who does not work, but trust God who justifies just as if I had never sinned. He justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. Paul is discouraging works for salvation. Paul emphasizes justification of the ungodly, which really goes against Jewish tradition. Acquittal of the wicked or guilty and condemnation of innocent people is repeatedly denounced in the Old Testament, as we see in Exodus 23, 7. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. This would be outrageous to law-abiding Jews. But in the New Testament, they did crucify someone who was innocent. Tim Keller states that Abraham was not himself righteous, perfect, or blameless, as we are not, and as nobody in the New Testament was, anybody during that time of the crucifixion of Christ, we all put Christ on that cross because of our sinfulness. So Martin Luther says, you know, that it is possible to be loved and accepted by God while we ourselves are sinful and imperfect because Christians are simul justus a pector, not the best at Latin, at the same time, both righteous and sinful. So as Abraham was not righteous, not perfect, not blameless, God treated him as if he were. <clears throat> God is a God of grace who always gives freely without constraint, and he is never obligated to any person. He does not credit based on works. He is a generous savior who gives freely to those who believe. I'm going to steal from some future learning in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's the generosity of Jesus Christ and of the God, God the Father. Tim Keller also uses a really nice um, example by saying that saving faith is equal to a trust transfer. So I stop trusting in myself and I start trusting in God. This concept goes against what we as Americans are being taught. R. Kent Hughes discussed that the American folk religion is dominant. And despite a great love for the song, Amazing Grace, we think if I just do my best, I'll make it to heaven one day. In this day and age, justification by faith through God's grace is often rejected for salvation through works. We do things the old fashioned way. We earn it, right? This is the mindset that is transactional. It depends on me and my ability to be good or do good. And we already know that none are righteous. No, not one. In rabbinic literature, Abraham was the prime example of justification by works. Paul is pointing out that Abraham was justified before he did anything for which he is so well known, sola fide, by faith alone. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but I do want to talk about how we can seek our own savior by trusting in our own performance. So maybe through religion, I go to church every Sunday. I serve in this ministry, our moral character. I'm a good citizen in my community. I do work in my community. I'm a good neighbor. My vocation, I'm a missionary. I teach Sunday school. I teach Christian ed uh, education. 
through, you know, my parenting, I'm going to be, I'm going to raise the best kids who will live for Jesus. And then others really base their faith on works. I try to be a good Christian. Maybe even Jews who think, well, I'm circumcised. So that is my automatic in. I come from a Christian family. I believe God and try to do his will. That's faith plus works. Or I believe in God with all my heart. And that's faith as a work. Paul kind of abruptly turns here and starts talking about David. So he moves from talking about Abraham to using the example of, of, of David just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Now, verses seven to eight come directly from Psalm 32, one to two. Psalm 32 is a Psalm of David, who was the greatest king of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart, but he was also guilty of sin, as we learned over the past two years studying in first and second Samuel in our Bible study. Yet, he experienced the joy of forgiveness. He had a contrite heart. He admitted his sin, and he asked God to forgive him. And so he experienced that joy of forgiveness. Psalm 32 is a psalm of confession. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. At that time, by the blood of the spotless lamb. But today through the blood of Jesus Christ. Here he recognizes his sinfulness and tendency towards sin, realizes his sin is rebellion towards God and admits that he has sinned. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin, credited as righteousness. Here he trusts God's willingness to forgive and accepts God's forgiveness. Sometimes we really struggle with accepting God's forgiveness. And we take that sin back and we put it, we're like, I got to figure this out. Put it on the altar and leave it there. Let God take care of that. He is a forgiving God. So when sin is deeply rooted or overgrown in our lives, it can be really challenging to see it as sin sometimes, or even that we need a savior. Jesus is willing to forgive every sin in our lives. Nothing is too great for him. It is the reason he went to the cross to lay down his life and die for us so that he could conquer death and hell by raising from the grave on the third day. Do you live like you know that kind of power in your life, the resurrection power? Or are you just hoping to be good enough to work your way to heaven one day? How overwhelming it would feel to be that person who has to feel the weight of responsibility of my heavenly destiny. If it were up to me, I'd be on my way to hell as soon as my feet touch the floor in the morning. I sin in many ways that seem just not even that, they seem trivial to people, you know, whether it's, you know, my, I, I'm just not spending the time that I need to with God. I'm not giving things back to him. On Sunday, Pastor Anthony talked about our sinful nature. We are not sinners because we sin. We are all born sinners and we all need a savior. It's because of original sin by Adam and Eve. You don't have to teach a child to lie or disobey, right? Did anybody have to go through that with their child and say, no, this is how you're going to lie. No, it comes naturally to every single one of us, right? Even at that young age, but there is good news. You can trust Jesus. 
he will do what he says and his promises are secure. So we take another turn right back to Abraham. Uh, and in the following verses, the discussion of circumcision. So as a pediatric urology nurse practitioner, um, we talk about circumcision every single day at my job. Um, it's, it really is, you know, I know all the different surgical techniques. I assist in surgery. I also know that parents have very strong feelings about circumcision. And it is, uh, it can be either related to a cultural reason. It can be a religious region, reason, or it can just be tradition in our family. This is what we've always done. So knowing that in this day and age, what it's like, and then thinking about in the time of Abraham and how this was a sign and a seal. This was something that really meant something to their people, to the Jewish people and how valuable it was. So verses nine through 12 reveal that Abraham's faith, not the outward sign of circumcision was what God saw in him and counted to him as righteousness. I'm going to read through this section for you. Is the blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That feels like the most circular conversation and sounds just like a lawyer, right? Anyway, um, so it's like, wow. So let's just kind of hash that out. So we know that in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was an uncircumcised believer. Circumcision was later given as a sign and a seal or a physical sign. Genesis 15, 6 was 430 years before the law was given and 14 years before the sign of circumcision. And David, so Abraham had the law. David did, you know, did not have the law and David did have the law. So we can look at that contrast. Um, and Paul uses these two great examples of one who was not under the law, Abraham, and one who was under the law, David. So David was automatically circumcised as a baby um, because in Genesis 17, so this is two chapters after 15, Abraham received the covenant of circumcision then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you for generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household, or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or bought with money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Pretty, pretty important, everlasting. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
Abraham was 99 when he was circumcised. I mean, I think that's a really big step of faith, right? Um, and I've been using the Blue Letter Bible for some other commentary, and I had the opportunity to listen to a message by Joe Fosch on this chapter. Um, he reported that the Talmud stated that even a Jew could not come to Passover without the mark of Abraham in the flesh, circumcision. And if they turned from the living God, who was Yahweh, to idols, they would go to hell, but not before God would return their foreskin before putting them in hell or Sheol. He would remove the circumcision, which actually means he would put the skin back. That is certainly a miracle that only God could do. But I do not know if that is true. Um, I think it is a thought of man. Um, it is part of the Talmud. So Isaac does not come along until chapter 21, about 25 years from the time that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham, the father of all who believe, circumcised and uncircumcised alike. He walked in the steps of faith of his father. He was a pilgrim who sought a city whose builder and maker was God. He was a stranger in the promise in the land of promise. We know in Hebrews 11, that is the, you know, the faith chapter by faith. He believed when he could not see the end result. He would never know the many generations that led to the birth of Messiah, the death of Jesus or the resurrection. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope is not a something, it is a someone. It is Jesus. My sister's in-laws had a huge sign on their front lawn for years, and it said, without Christ, no hope. And it just rings true at every level for me. Hebrews 11.8-12 through 12 talks about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And even Sarah gets some recognition here. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised i love this next section therefore from one man and him as good as dead abraham is 100 years old when isaac is born um so he's making it really plain here uh through this one man were descend were born descendants as many as the stars of the heavens and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. How often do we get paralyzed by not knowing the end? We want to know what the end is. We think about these are people who never got to see the end result. They just acted in faith. We perseverate over decisions, seeking the will of God, sometimes at other times just willy-nilly making decisions and hoping for a good outcome, um, not even thinking about consequences. Can you trust the creator of the universe with your whole life? He loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice, to take our place, to shed his own blood so that we would be seen and credited as righteousness before God, the father. Ephesians 2, 4 to 7, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead 
It's like Abraham was almost dead. We were actually dead in trespasses and sin. You are saved by grace. He also raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Remember the word kindness earlier? Romans 2, 4. This is the New Living Translation. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So can you trust God even when it seems impossible and walk by faith? If you haven't, I pray that you will. If you are struggling as a believer, pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have given us this amazing passage about faith. You've given us great examples in men who are fallible, in Abraham, in David, and even Sarah. Um, but God, they put their faith in you. They put their trust in you and they move forward even when it didn't make sense. And so I pray that as we go through our days and our lives, that you would just help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, to remember that even when we sin, we can ask for forgiveness and that it is the righteousness of Christ that God sees in us. I pray for anyone here who does not know Jesus, that you would help them to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. And I pray for every believer here who is struggling in their faith, God, that you would help them through this message and through this uh, time of studying together in their small groups to really work it out together and to be encouraged by these words. We thank you for how you're working in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.